welcome. You've joined us again for another episode of the Deacons Roundtable on 88.5 WSFI here in the northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, and eastern Rockford uh, locations. Thank you for joining us. Today we have with us, as we always do, Deacon Dave Egan, who's, who is uh, joining us from down in Tennessee. We have Deacon Mike Alandi from uh, St. Mary the Annunciation in, in uh, I'd like to say Mundelein, that's but right. is that just out there? Mundelein or Fremont. Fremont, okay. And, of course, I'm Greg Webster from St. Ray for the Archangel in Old Mill Creek, Illinois, which no one knows where that is, so we'll say near Antioch. <laughs> We are uh, here today getting out of the Easter season, or get Easter season, God, the Christmas season. So thankfully the Hallmark holidays and 67 days of, of Christmas carols are finally over on the Hallmark Channel. And we've entering ordinary time here. And we have with us today Mr. Andrew Waller from the Knights of Columbus. And we'll talk a little bit about Knights of Columbus charities. But before, before we do, we'd ask Deacon Dave to start us with a prayer. Let us begin as we end all things in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God, for being with us today. Let us hopefully see your guiding graces in everything that we do. You've been with us the start of this new year. Help keep us strong so we complete our work and become closer to you as we begin to approach the season of Lent and this purification time. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 So, Andrew, Father, thank- Son, Holy Spirit, amen. So, Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, let our audience know a little bit about uh, uh, how one becomes a senior VP for strategic planning of the Knights of Columbus? Well, I've been here at the Knights of Columbus in New Haven since 2005, working on a variety of things, including... Uh, some communications projects and also most of our, our work for persecuted Christians, especially in the Middle East. So I've been over to Iraq a number of times and have met with um, senior leaders from all over the world that are that are facing religious persecution. And it's, it's quite remarkable, I think, when you live in the United States to see what's going on in some of these other countries because it's... Uh, it's really a world away in one sense, but in another sense, when you're in Iraq, for example, and you're walking around buildings that look like they could be in uh, in this country and seeing people wearing clothing that could be in this country and talking on their iPhones, and there's there's a sense that things are very normal on the one hand, and yet at the time ISIS was you know 15, 20 miles away on the other hand. So it can be a it can be a little um, jarring, I think, for Americans sometimes to think about the reality of people in this day and age dying for their faith, whether it's you know Christians being beheaded by ISIS in Iraq and Syria, or um, in some of these other countries, we had the bombing in Sri Lanka at Easter last year, and the killings at Christmas this year in Nigeria. I mean, you have a you have a real um, threat to a lot of Christians living around the world. That is not whether or not they will be comfortable, or whether or not an opinion of theirs is socially acceptable. But it's a real, in a real way, it's the life or death choice that being a Christian is for these people. Can, can we back up a little bit, Andrew, because for our listening audience, we're, again, we're talking with a, a senior member of the Knights of Columbus, the guys in, who used to wear the cool hats and not allowed to anymore, but the uh, that's a pretty big jump from, the, jump from the guys who do pancakes to the guys that are that are helping in, in, in Baghdad at Rock. So can we, can we talk a little bit about how the Knights of Columbus from a parish scale, works with the national group to, to go internationally? Oh, sure. Like that. Well, you know, going back to 2014, which is when we really got involved in this, ISIS was rolling through Iraq and taking large portions of its territory. They already had a good deal of territory in Syria. Um, it was both a national campaign and a grassroots campaign that allowed us to do the work that we're doing over there. So, we had many councils that did pancake breakfast, for example, or you know some sort of uh, food-themed event to raise money for this. We had councils that sold olive wood crosses from the Holy Land to raise money for this. We had councils that had uh, you know dinners and speakers. I've spoken at them. They had a bishop from Iraq that spoke at, at another one, and you know the, there was money raised at the grassroots level for this issue, and, and this is an issue 
debt for the Knights of Columbus runs very, very deep. In the 1920s, our local councils were raising money and helping us to stand for the persecuted Mexican Catholics who were being persecuted by their government at the time simply for their faith. The church was under assault by the by the very secular government there in Mexico, the anti-clerical government there. And so for the Knights of Columbus, this is, this is something that we have done time and again, standing up for Cardinal Menzenti and paying for his stay in the U.S. Embassy in Hungary uh, during the Soviet occupation when he had to flee to the U.S. Embassy. I mean, over and over again throughout the years, the Knights of Columbus has, has been an organization that stood up for the persecuted, particularly Catholics and Christians, but also, for example, the Jews in Germany in the 1930s, the Armenian and other Middle Eastern Christians that were suffering after World War I. So the Knights of Columbus for more than 100 years has, has been part of the effort to bring attention to those who are persecuted, to stand up for those who are persecuted, to speak out on their behalf, to help them in concrete ways by raising money. And it's an organization where that isn't simply a decision made at the top that is, uh, you know, for the corporate office to do. It's something that our our men have gotten involved with. We had one council in, in Nebraska that raised well over $150,000 to help with this effort to help rebuild a town in Iraq. So it wasn't simply something that was coming out of the Supreme Office. Certainly $25 million came out of the Supreme Office, but that money was raised, you know, a dollar at a time, $5 at a time, $10,000 at a time from individuals, from members, from councils, from parishes. And so in many, many cases, the local councils have been very, very active in doing events to both raise awareness and to raise money for this effort. Well, I think it's totally cool. And you, you all, we've seen on the news clips for for decade now, at least, for of of churches being demolished and and the, the, what's the the Muslim atrocities that are going on to the persecuted Christians. How is it that the Knights of Columbus of all the I mean Knights of Columbus do you know hurricane relief everything else how they specifically get involved in Iraq and could you also say that in a country like Iraq where the government is suspect the Muslims are in charge how do you make sure the money gets to the parish well you know there there are a number of a number of uh, things that that are important in this case. In in the case of why we got involved, it it happened that um, you, as we became increasingly aware of what was happening in in Iraq with ISIS in 2014, and looking at our history, looking at the fact that over the years the Knights of Columbus had been so involved in in uh, previous persecutions of Christians and standing up for them and assisting them. It became very clear very quickly that this was something that we really needed to take a serious look at and see what we could do to help. And as time went on, we developed relationships with people in Iraq and Syria. So we were able to transfer the money directly to partners, whether they were partners running um, elements of refugee camps or uh, doing medical clinics, and in, in many cases, or in almost all cases, these were partners that had a church affiliation. So when Mosul and the Nineveh Plain in Iraq fell, the refugees went to the east, and they went to the safest place in the neighborhood, which was a town called Erbil. In many cases, that's where they went, in some, but in Kurdistan, in the Kurdish region of Iraq. So the Archdiocese of Erbil, which was a small archdiocese in northern Iraq, suddenly finds itself with 120, 130, 140,000 new people that it has to take care of because it's the only it's the only game in town. And the agreement that was reached with the government there was that the Catholic Church would take care of the the Christian refugees. The Kurdish government, which was also overwhelmed by this huge influx of, of refugees would take care of the Muslim and some of the other refugees. And, and of course, the Christian community also ended up helping various Muslim families and Yazidi families and, and other, other folks who fled there. But the for us, it was very easy to work with, for example, the Archdiocese of Erbil in Iraq or the Archdiocese of Aleppo in Syria. And when you say Archdiocese, because though, is this the Chaldean Christian Archdiocese, or in, is this... Uh, in, in Iraq, we primarily worked with the Chaldean Catholics. We also worked yeah. with the Syriac Catholics. In, 
in Syria, we worked with the Melkite Catholics, and we've also, you know, worked and talked with, though I don't know if we've directly funded some of the other churches there as well. And in in one case, we've done a we've done a project that included um, the co-funding of this is something that's ongoing now, the co-funding of landmine and weapons removal in northeastern Syria with the Austrian and Slovenian governments. So we're working. Um, in some very creative ways to make this region safer um, with, in some cases, the American government, the Polish government, the you know, other European governments. So there's been, there's been collaboration at the governmental level, but also a lot of the money, a lot of the effort has gone directly to, um, through the church, because the church was really the first responders on this. They were running the refugee camps. They were ground zero for what was happening, and there was a very high level of competence. In fact, um, I, I was at a meeting in Iraq with the UN representatives, and the UN people admitted that the level of care in the Christian camps was higher than the level of care in the UN camps. So there was a, a real gold standard coming out of the Christian community in terms of the treatment of the refugees, and we were very, very happy to assist them. And at the time, they were not getting any governmental money, whether from the UN or the US or anybody else, so there was no there was no flow of money to the church there, except from private parties like the Knights of Columbus, and so we saw this as a real responsibility and a real way that we could make a difference for these people. So if I can ask one more question before Dave jumps in, because I know Dave has a bunch of them as well. The, uh, the Waukegan parishes, uh, councils in our in our listening area as a district have, have taken on a, a Chaldean church in Baghdad. I forget uh-huh. what the name it is, but hopefully we'll get that uh, website link up on the WSFI website so, so our listeners can make a donation to the, to this cause. Um, and I do believe that's a, a Chaldean church. And I was wondering, is the Chaldean church in the United States part of this effort? Or, or would, I mean, as the Knights of Columbus reached out to the, um, I mean, obviously if we have a Chaldean community in Chicago, I think they should yeah, know no, for sure. I mean, the Knights of Columbus has worked very closely on, on in a number of ways with the Chaldean Church, both in Michigan and in uh, San Diego, El Cajon, California. So we've we've been uh, in very close contact with them, and also with the uh, with the bishop in Toronto, Bishop Soro. So there's been there's been a great deal of of uh, collaboration between the Knights of Columbus here and the Chaldean and Syriac Church here as well. So, Andrew, this is uh, David Egan. So, I'm a little bit confused, if you could, and I'm sure some of the listeners would be also. So, if you look at the websites in Adopter Parish, um, the impression is that all the funds will be going to, from a council, are going to be going to a particular parish. But from what you were saying, it's much greater role within the diocese, archdiocese, in coordination. So, what yeah, is the so relationship? Yeah, two different things. Yeah, so two different two different things. The the twenty five million that the Knights of Columbus has put in over there would also encompass uh the money that's been spent on the adopt a parish uh, level. The Adopt a Parish program is something that is is a relatively uh, new effort within what we're doing, and it's something that is designed to help give our councils a link with a particular uh, parish in Iraq. So, the idea is that um, this is this is one avenue that councils have taken to adopt a parish in some way, and to help get them support for you know you can ima- you might imagine what the what the collection plate looks like in Iraq on Sunday and and so they need all the help they can get so the adopt a parish model was designed to just give them a boost and help them to do everything from keep the lights on to minister to people in their parish that may have been displaced, may need food assistance. The The church in many cases in, in Iraq is the social safety net. So helping these parishes has incredibly powerful effects on, on the community. So that is on top of the other overarching goal of the work with the Archdiocese there. Yeah, so we've worked with the Archdiocese, and then with the Archdiocese we work to create the adopt a parish model and the idea as i said the idea of the adopt a parish model is it's part of what we're doing and it's a very concrete person-to-person part of what we're doing so it's not just um 
someone donating to a very large menu of causes, it, it makes it very specific, I think, for a council, for example, the council you mentioned, to have that kind of specific connection with a priest and a, and a group of parishioners who are witnessing to the faith in that way. It's a way for us here in the States to witness to our faith and to help people really on the front lines of persecution to witness to their own faith. Are there any stories of people expanding the role besides the donations of um, working with the parish, sharing resources, people going to visit? As well, I mentioned we had one we had one council a couple of years ago in Nebraska that raised about one hundred and sixty thousand dollars or more for um, the rebuilding of a town that had been demolished by ISIS, and so this was this was I think the single largest council-based event that we had, and it was an incredibly successful um, event. So, you know, we don't anticipate a lot of councils doing that, but I had, you know, I had a guy that I met at a meeting one time tell me, we've sold $13,000 worth of solidarity crosses for the church in Iraq. So it's really run the run the gamut. I spoke at a fundraising dinner that brought in ten or $12,000. So there, there's been um, the, the particular Adopt-a-Parish initiative, which has really helped these parishes to survive in Iraq, but there's also been any number of ad hoc fundraising efforts at the council level to support all of the other initiatives that we have going on in that region. So, uh, well, I guess my question was actually going a bit deeper than just the fundraising aspect. So, for example, one of the um, groups that I did at one of my old parishes worked with was working with um, an orphanage down in Pierre, Peru. And so there would be a group of missionaries that would go there um, for a week, 10 days, and do some of the work within the mission. And I was just wondering if the, uh, any of the adopted parish programs were able to do something similar to that, or is it? Yeah, I don't think I've, I don't think that's happened at the moment. Part of the, part of the situation is that the, the tension is such right now in Iraq with the, with the events of the last several months, and especially the last several weeks. I was going to say that, Getting, the State uh, Department has pretty much told Americans just do not go to Iraq under any circumstance. Well, besides, yes. the sta- so, besides the State Department, it, my wife wouldn't let me go to Iraq right now. I mean, going to Peru is one thing. <laughs> going to Iraq is a little bit different. Going to Jerusalem can be a little negotiation yeah, right it's, now. It's so. probably, not a, probably not a good time to go. So from from that perspective, I think you know that, that's made it a little more complicated at the moment. In the future, as things calm down and return to some semblance of normal, and in certain areas of the country that are safer than others, um, I've certainly had members express an interest in going there, a number of members that have expressed an interest in going there, but it's not something that I am aware of um, having coalesced yet. I mean, I... I've gone, we have other members that have gone in in something of a professional capacity, but we haven't had a team of volunteers go there to paint a church, for example. I imagine if you're going to Iraq, you could probably sell some Knights of Columbus life insurance policies before you go to help help take care of that situation. Now, you said you were in Iraq. Your wife might make you buy one. Oh, she made me buy several. uh, When you were in Iraq, though, uh, when we see what's on, how... What's reality there? I mean, are, are those Christians walking down the street and getting abused by Muslims every day, like we like they might say on the TV, or uh, or how, I think how we, reali- what's reality? I think we yeah we have to be clear that Iraq is there are there are many different parts of Iraq. I mean, Kurdistan is one is one part of Iraq where things are you know a little more a little more peaceful and a little uh, less contentious. Uh, Muslims and Christians have lived together in Iraq for you know, 1,400 years, and there have been good times and bad times in the relations between those communities. ISIS was certainly far beyond the pale in terms of what um, people's memory was. You know, I mean, this was this was certainly an incredibly uh, violent episode, not not a not a typical. 2014 to 2016 was not a typical year in Iraq. That was certainly. Those, those years were certainly um, much much worse than than a typical year. That said, there have been genocides there against the Christians previously with the Ottoman Turks 
during and after World War One, and then again in 1922, there was a widespread slaughter of Christians in, in Turkey and in the whole region. I mean, the region went from somewhere north of 20% Christian to today, it's in the low single digits, and in Iraq, just in the last 15 years, 16 years, the population has fallen from about one and a half million to maybe 150,000. So there's been a precipitous decline, the same in Syria, the, the numbers are harder to get because it's messier there. Um, but again, the, the numbers have fallen by two-thirds to three-quarters, some of them displaced in the region, some of them gone for good to Europe, Australia, the States, wherever they could get. And do you have any numbers on how the Knights of Columbus has helped stabilize this, or how, how do you, how do you, how do you well, measure Well, what the Knights the of Columbus has done, and, and when the Supreme Knight and I were over there in March, I mean, the thing that came up again and again with the, uh, with the bishops there was, to a man, they told us that if we had not done what we did, if we had not spent the money we spent and supported the projects we supported, they believed that Christianity would have disappeared from the country. I mean, we, we were told that repeatedly. So I think what we've been able to do is to help preserve Christianity there in a, in a certain way and to help to ensure that it has a chance to rebuild, especially um, especially in the after ISIS episode, which was really, I think, shocking to the conscience of of people, I think Muslims and Christians and all of the other uh, minority communities in Iraq, you know, the, the Shia Muslims were hit very hard by ISIS as well. And that, that, uh, that whole episode, I think, really shocked the conscience of the country. And you see now, with these protests in Iraq, the the protesters are demanding a secular government. They're demanding no more sectarianism. They're demanding, uh, you know, all of these things that I think, in part, um, are a reaction to ISIS's uh, reign of terror. And for our listeners not familiar with the Knights of Columbus, we should highlight for them the Supreme Knight is not a canonical position. The Supreme Knight is the the chairman, CEO, however you want to say it, of the Knights of Columbus. So, <laughs> uh, I just yeah, want to ask two, uh, two, that, two, two, basic, two basic questions for a non uh, Knights of Columbus. One, shame how, on you. How, how do you go about donating to the uh, Adopt a Parish? Uh, you know, program. And second, how do you start a Knights of Columbus in a parish? Because I don't have one, I think, in my parish. Well, the best thing to do for all of these things is to go to our website, uh, which is www.kofc.org. And from there, you can find the information on the Adopt a Parish program. You can find the information on donating to the Knights of Columbus more broadly. You can find, you can get connected. Um, via email or telephone with the Supreme Council in terms of starting a, starting a, if you wanted to start a council or if you wanted to get more involved in some way, I'd say the first the first stop should be uh, kofc.org. Or for a particular parish, talk to someone in at the parish because all all the guys in the parish around parishes around here would know about district efforts on on, on this as well. Well, gentlemen, I, it's been a it's been a pleasure to be with you. I I'm afraid I've got to sign off here in a in a minute or so, but um, I hope this has been helpful. And as I said, I'm I'm certainly uh, I'm certainly happy to do more at a mutually convenient time. Andrew, we thank you for your time. We thank you for making us aware for of of some of the initiatives to try to help some of the Christians who uh, who are frankly getting abused in the Middle East. And uh, what a great opportunity for us to help our brothers in, in in Christ and brothers and sisters in Christ to to build their lives back together. This is WSFI eighty eight point five on your FM dial. We are on the Deacons Roundtable. We'll be right back after these messages. In your spare time, would you help the Catholic community? WSFI Radio needs a volunteer to help with administrative data entry and office work in Libertyville, Illinois. For more information, call Angela at 224-206-8455. 224-206-8455. 
206-8455 or email us at info at wsfiradio.org. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. And we're back in the Deacon's Roundtable here on WSFI 88.5 FM on your listening dial. And we've just been talking about the adopt a parish program with the Knights of Columbus for adopting parishes in the Middle East that have been, quite frankly, under siege. By Now, we're not, of course, attacking our, mothers and bro- our Muslim brothers and sisters, but uh, part of their element has been beaten on our brothers and sisters out there. And this is an opportunity where Christians can come back and stand up for our faith and, and, and help modern-day martyrs, martyrs that are going on. In this particular area, I know that District 2, which doesn't mean a lot to people who's not outside of Nice to Columbus, but the Waukegan Councils have gotten together, and I think they're the second council in, in Illinois, or second district in Illinois, to actually adopt a parish. And hopefully WSFI will actually put a link onto this charity on their website in the coming days. But uh, uh, Virgin Mary, Queen of the Rosary Chaldean Catholic Church in the Chaldean Archdiocese of Baghdad is being supported by groups within the, the listening area of WSFI. And uh, it, this program is new to the Knights of, to us in the Knights of Columbus. So if, if people haven't heard a lot about it, it's just because the councils are now we're just starting to hear, hear a lot about. But uh, I know a lot of, in the councils that I'm in and some of the other ones, guys heard a chance to, to do something in the Middle East for Christians that are, that are under siege. What a great opportunity. So um, that's kind of what is going on in that program. We want to make people more aware of it. Mike asked a little bit about how people can donate to that. Um, you can you can actually contact us here at the Deacon's Roundtable through WSFI, and we can, and uh, we'll we'll get you a link to our charity. But uh, um, all the money that is collected does goes directly from the Knights of Columbus and into the charities. And, and one of the great things about the Knights of Columbus is they don't take out overhead. They're not like the, the the Shriners and some other groups. They they what you donate is goes to the goes to the uh, to the relief effort. They use they use their all their resources for for doing overhead. They take out costs, but not overhead. Um, one of the cool things. Another thing we're doing here at WSFI is that on March 21st at the Benedictine Retreat House, uh, WSFI and Catholic Financial Life are a uh, they're sponsoring an Ignatian Day of Reflection uh, during Lent, held up, uh, uh, moderated or or by yours truly, Deacon Greg here. Uh, we're going to talk about the Ignatian Discernment of Holy Week, and WSFI has a, one of our sponsors has agreed that proceeds from that uh, that event, half of it will go to the Iraqi Parish to help them out. So if you're looking for something to do this Lent, something Catholic to do this Lent, uh, what's more Catholic than doing a retreat, right guys? But uh, this is a one-day Ignatian Discernment uh, at Bennett Lake, uh, March 21st, and more information will be coming up on the uh, WSFI website as we get our details in order because it's out on March 21st. Um, so Mike and Dave, what do you guys think about the idea of of helping Chaldean parishes, Christian parishes in the, in the Middle East? Does, is that uh, something you're like, hey, this is cool, hey, this is something that uh, maybe we're not, we don't want to get into? What, what was your, your guys' thought when you heard about this? It's cool. It's cool. We've done it uh, uh, not, not the Chaldean parish in, in the Middle East, but I know that our parish council way back, about six six years ago, uh, they worked with a particular church in uh, the Philippines, in Mindanao, and uh, they sort of had conversations, and I was part of the conversation to find out what the needs were of the parish. And we did raise uh, a good sum, uh, about $12,000, uh, to help them uh, the effort has to do with uh, training catechists in the area. 
uh, and uh, train them and have them run uh, catechetical classes over a certain period of time. And we thought that was very, very fulfilling on our part here. Is it still active? Uh, we haven't followed up. It's been six years. Okay. And David mentioned a, a very popular program that has been going on for years at St. Pat's in Wadsworth. Dave, you want to talk about the program that, that you, you've been involved with with Peru? A little bit more detail. So there is, uh, at Pure Peru, there is um, a priest that has a parish, and it's based sort of on the uh, small group association that uh, developed in South America. And he originally is from Milwaukee. His mother and uh, brother, I believe, still live up there. And so through different connections, he ended up starting different connections in Houston and working their way up where families and the parishes would adopt another family in that community. Um, and eventually that started then expanded to missionaries going down um, from these different parishes, and I believe it's just probably close to every single week of the year. And they build things like houses, uh, deliver food, just generally help. The, there's thousands of uh, families that are in these parishes in small groups, and a lot of times they don't have uh, transportation to go to the main church, so they've built a whole bunch of small little tiny chapels that um, people go and say mass at. It's it's quite the outreach. Um, and you're able to put some of the kids through you know, school, let them have a chance to uh, expand. So, for example, right now, I believe support of a family for food for a year, which is generally just rice and beans and all the staples, is only $300. So, supporting a family of four, five, six, or $300 a year so that they can deal with other things. I think it's phenomenal. Or, or go to school is like, was tuition was under $100 for, the, for them to go to a school. So it's doing small things like that. Um, and I think that's a very good program. I think the uh, Support Adopted Parish Iraq is a great program, but there's tons of great programs out there. Yes, I was going to mention the uh, the Mary Knowles. If you don't want to go international, they they do the very same thing for parishes in Appalachia. Appalachia, yep. yeah. Um, so the, the, a lot of these things lead uh, to a question I think a lot of people have: How do you decide with the limited resources that you have how to make a difference? in people's lives and how do you go about that whole process of you know, being a good steward for with your responsibilities but at the same time reaching out as we're told that we must do in Matthew 25 so i think that's a sort of a tough question so how, how do you deal how charities. do you deal with it dave i mean i think it's a great question because you know wsfi is is listener supported and it's and certainly uh is part of the important message of broadcasting the faith and many people wouldn't know about these parish programs if it wasn't for wsfi but we also have these programs that are that are international if programs that are no, local um i will go home tonight and i will have all these address labels now in my email from somebody asking for i sent you some address labels would you send us some cash which i really hate because it's kind of like emotional blackmail isn't it but um <laughs> or plastic rosaries which i really don't want because if they're blessed you can't just throw them away right so so dave we bring up the question and and mike the question's coming to you what are your thoughts on how we should be doing this so is this mike addressed to mike or to me yes you can go first because you answered <laughs> <laughs> so it's a trade-off on what to do. So I recently retired. And so one of the things that um, we initially did was sort of cut back on a lot of our donations. We, we kept up to the church. Um, and there are a couple other charities that we did. Like, but for some of the schools, for example, we didn't do it this year just so we could see where we were at. Um, and then after, you know, we knew that we could start expanding where we give um like some of the small things it's it's a very small catholic population down here so with like the knights of columbus they had a um a, a fruit thing buying oranges for example and it was something that we wouldn't use but we ended up getting you know 
a few dozen oranges and just gave them away. So like, oh yeah, it's going for a good cause. Oh, there was another program down here that they had um, kids having needing winter coats. Um, so donating to that. I mean, granted, I don't think winter down, especially this year, you know, winter is uh, a relative term. Um, but it's small things like that um, of doing it where you can. I mean, it's then once, I guess, we're semi-settled on the set, then we can start increasing the amount that we give once we know where we're at and we feel at a comfortable level. Sure. So, so my, what, ahead, we don't have, <clears throat> and I'm learning, I'm learning a lot of things to, today. Um, we don't have something that's organized or systematized. That's why I like so much what the Knights of Columbus, for example, is offering. You can, you know, you can adopt a parish, uh, and the the system is there already. And all you need to do would be, uh, on the on the parish level, is get it organized. And uh, I don't think we have anything internal that's as organized as the adopt a parish by Knights of Columbus. Well, I know when the hurricanes hit, I knew I, I you know, I have a, a house that's still standing. I have water. I have children that are healthy. I felt the need to help that. Where are you going to go with that check? You know, who are you going to write that check to? I went to the Knights of Columbus charity section. And I'm sure Catholic Financial Life and all those other people have it. But I wanted to give it to an organization that would actually put the money where it needed to go. And so I think, yes, going going to a website such as Knights of Columbus, Catholic Foresters, I think I think when you hit groups like that, you will, you know, generating to their hurricane fund, that money went to the to the places of need. So, so yeah, I agree with you on that. That's a very good point. Uh, in one of the calamities back uh, in the Philippines, when later one of the big provinces was really hit hard, and our parish wanted to donate directly to a parish, and uh, I tried my best to get hold of several parishes back home, but the difficulty is if there is no system or organization right. existing, the the priest will say, "Yeah, I know we need that, but." How will you get your funds to us, and how do we it's maintain a, a, a relationship so we can keep this going and not one thing? And how do we tell you exactly what we need? And it was difficult. So we ended up working through Catholic Charities to send our, our parish donations and help. So, so, Mike, let me turn the question to you that we did with Dave. We have all these different par- these charities that are, that are, how do you differentiate? How do you help our listeners to say, hey, what do I do? I mean, we're getting hit on all sides. It's, you know, it's a need. People are needy. What's your thoughts on the subject about, about how do we deal with this particular issue? A good question for the parish council to look at. I'm talking about individually. I mean, not just not just as a parish, but as individual Catholics. As we go home today, you're going to have, I guarantee you, I, 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 we went through the same courses. You're on the same mailing list as I am. You're going to have three or four things in the email and mail today asking you for cash. We, we have a radio station that allows us to evangelize the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. But we have, <laughs> you know, I, I get, how do you do it? I, I guess when I was listening to Dave talk, I think w- w- the important thing is to find something you're passionate about. Because in the Catholic Church, it's not just money. It's time and treasure, right? <laughs> so I think writing the check is actually the easy part. But getting involved is 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 the key. Jesus doesn't just want your checkbook, right? He wants you involved in the faith. He wants us to to be part of it. If we shield ourselves from the hurt and the pain, we're not living life, right? We're we're we're, we're isolating it. We're watching it on TV. You don't we don't smell the sheep if we don't. When I went down to Cretina, uh, Hurricane Cretina in, in the Gulf Coast years ago. Um, Walking around the the, the, the those streets because Knights of Columbus again helped the parish down there, the smell, the smell was terrible. And we were there ten months after it hit. The smell was terrible. I mean, that that how do you, that experience is can't be replicated, you know. So so we have to get dirty, if you will. So I I think the part of this is is to become involved, become involved in WSFI, become involved in in the Peru concept at Saint Saint Pat's, become involved in the Filipino. It doesn't really matter if we're helping somebody. I mean, for me personally, I don't see how we cannot help people eat. So one of my favorite places is Feed My Starving Children. They're, they're, a, they're a great group for, for doing that. They're great for teaching teenagers, hey, 
put down the cell phone and help somebody, right? But I don't think I think we have to to not only applaud the people that are doing all these things, but we got to become part of it. We can't just be sitting in a pew and say, "Hey, Father, go take care of this." Hey, guys, great job. Here's my check. We can't exist without the checks. I don't want to under undermine the checks, but we need a talent. We everyone here has a talent and has time. One of the worst qu- phrases I hate in 2020 is, "I don't have time." If it's important, you make the time, right? And that's very sure. true, uh, Greg. That's very true. Uh, the more you experience what the difficulty is, what the challenges are, you would keep going back. One of the things I know, this happens with a lot of the <clears throat> medical people, uh, Filipino medical people, doctors and nurses, that every, almost every year, okay, uh, my sister-in-law, for example, would go back to the Philippines for a two, three-week mission they will bring in the supplies, they will bring in the doctors, they'll bring in the nurses, and they would actually service okay, a, a whole town. And they would do this on a repeated basis. And, 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 uh, and this organization is not only the one that my sister belongs to, but there are and a lot of other medical missions being done right now in the country. And it is the experience of how difficult it is Okay, uh, for for these people to get medical attention, and it, it it sort of makes them come back, and they come back year after year. Okay, and uh, my sister-in-law went there last uh, two years ago, and she's she'll be going again this year. She even ended up suffering from dengue and was sick in the hospital back in the Philippines for about a couple of weeks, but she's still coming back. She went back last year, and she'll be going back again this year. So there's something about that experience. Someone you should talk to on this show sometime. That, that makes it very powerful. Yeah, it could be a show last time. There's <clears throat> also something else that you brought up, Greg, um, especially with food, and feed my starving children is great, but one of the other things that goes on, there are so many soup kitchens that can use help and are just even going to the soup kitchen and sitting down with some of the people that are homeless or some of the families. Um, and you can realize that all of us are in the same boat, you know, and it's just being empathized and being able to walk that journey with somebody else. I mean, that's what you're called to do. And especially if you want to do it as an ecumenical group, people will welcome you with open arms. And what a even a greater way to build God's kingdom all across the communities. I think that's a great point, Dave, especially the, the aspect of actually talking with our brothers and sisters are hurting, saying good morning, how are you, what's your name? Uh, I know I know. my fact, I've, I've been socialized when I'm downtown, don't look, you know, don't do all those things. And I, have, I have to, you know, I did a story once, when I was a Knights of Columbus collecting for Tootsie Rolls, I don't know if I told the story before, I was amazed, I was at the corner of uh, Milburn and Grass Lake Road, and I was amazed at how many people who wouldn't look at me in the middle of the road as I was trying to collect these, these Tootsie Rolls. And, you know, to be quite honest with you, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, I could care less if you don't donated or not i'm out here doing my charity but you know i'm not counting the dollars but but the people i didn't know weren't even looking the window wouldn't even look at the window like you know play with the radio and all those things and i I wouldn't put down the window and i knew some of these people and i thought to myself you know i don't want my kids to be like that so so i started uh, in my own house i I started buying some gift card mcdonald's cards and stuff like that and i told the kids put them in your car and anytime you see somebody who, who needs something give it to them no questions asked I don't care if it's a scam. You see scams like that, but, you know, God bless it, $5 isn't going to make a difference in my life, so help somebody out. Because I wanted to teach my kids to talk to these people, to, to look them in the eyes and let them know they're, they're, they're human beings. The sad part about this is that about six months later, my oldest daughter was down in Indianapolis, and she called me up on the phone, and she said, Dad! I said, what? And she goes, I just gave a donation to a homeless person in downtown Indianapolis. I said, oh, great, Sarah. She goes, and then I stayed and talked with them. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, great, my 21-year-old daughter down in, 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 in the middle city in the Midwest and talking to this guy. I'm like, no, Sarah, donate and walk away. But, you know, there's a practical aspect to this as well. We want to humanize these people, but we also want our daughters safe and our wives safe. Oh, and yeah. doing this. How do you balance that, David? <laughs> How, could you repeat what was the last I said, question? I said, isn't that, isn't that some of the challenge of getting people to work in some of the fruit kitchens? Is that oh, some, in some well, of the areas they're well, afraid to the go soup, there? In the soup kitchens, it's a relatively safe environment. I mean, uh, especially with pads in Lake County. I mean, you know, all the people who are in pads have IDs. Wait, what a another great um, organization! You're right, pads. Can you can you so, tell I our mean, listeners about pads if they don't know about pads? But there's another time and talent thing that we could people do. 
Yeah, I said, I, uh, unf the, unfortunately, there are no pad sites down here, but that was absolutely one of the joys. And I got to meet some really great people. And um, my kids went through this, especially my older daughter. Um, every I used to do the early morning shifts um, from 3 to 7 on Saturday mornings. And she would be there all the time with me, you know, cooking up the breakfast, getting things ready. It was just it was a good experience for her, and it has made a difference in her life. And and St. Pat's, I I know uh, some of the people from St. Pat's that that have kept pads alive, and they're doing it with some of our uh, Protestant churches, brothers and sisters, out yep. in in uh, different. There's one in Libertyville, and and yep. uh, that's the the. The chapel is yes, a chapel. and the chapel has a beautiful facility that they that they built to help help some of this stuff. But you know, some nights it's not so great to clean up after that that group. But you know what? That's life, and you, yep. we can't just shield ourselves from that. We got to become part of it. We, we've 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 become too anesthetized to our society. That's not what Jesus asked us to do. That's not what Pope Francis asked us to do. He tells he tells his priests they should smell like the sheep. But in reality, is we all should, right? I mean, yep. it should, well, actually, Saint Mary and Vernon's when they were expanding the church, they built a whole section that was made to be pads friendly. As far as big TVs, the wiring, the whole setup was to make sure they could you know, help the homeless. That's neat, that's neat. Our little chapel, our little old chapel in uh, St. Mary of the Annunciation, we've currently remodeled the basement to make it even more friendlier to the homeless people who go in there every fr uh, every Wednesday. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, yeah, so, so this is, you were talking before about, you know, the checkbook important, to, but it's a whole big package. I mean, you know, at the same time, if you're not able to um, do work at a kitchen, for example, yeah, I mean, that's where a checkbook comes really in handy to um, enable someone else to be able to do that. You know, make sure they have enough food so they can do that. Or have, like, excess food that you have in the house. You know, make a phone call, have someone from the uh, uh, food pantry that gladly come and get, you know, your donations and put it in the whole package for another family that really needs it. And how often, I mean, are, how often are our prayers? I mean, as, as as Catholics, we should be praying. Whether we we should be praying for for the the the, the Chaldean Church that's getting abused, we should be praying for the people that are doing the abusing, right? That Jesus tells us to call. Mm -hmm. for. How often do we include uh, people that we see in our prayers? And, and I think that that's another mindset we need to to overcome we're great about it on sunday we, we say after we say the announcement at, at the uh <laughs> at the response royals we say lord hear our prayer but uh on monday through friday monday through saturday do we do we pray for 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 the needy i know you know in chicago we're having a pretty mild winter but when it gets pretty darn cold here are we are, you know we should be reminded that not everyone is nice and toasty tonight right we had, oh, uh, we had our Respect Life Adoration last night, and one of the things we did was to, uh, you know, simply pray for whatever comes to our heart. And uh, if you listen to the prayers of the people, they really knew what was happening around town, around uh, around the parish, and they were praying for very specific, specific issues, uh, mostly uh, Respect Life related, but very specific. Uh, has to do with mothers who are who are making decisions over. Uh, over abortion, uh, also elderly people who are going through uh, difficulties because of uh, health challenges. But true, indeed, we should pray. We should pray the more specific, in terms of more specific needs. So is the, a, Go ahead, Dave. One of the things you brought up, Greg, is that, um, yeah, we should be doing it, but we should also realize that Respect Life covers all life. And it's not just an abortion level issue it's much greater than that and we are called to get our hands dirty you know yeah. so having this child you know uh someone didn't get an abortion what are we doing to make sure that that child has enough food what are we doing to help get them educated what are we doing to get that family out of poverty um what about that person on death row mm. it's just there is so much to this, to the Respect Life movement, that that's what Jesus was talking about, and what we're called to do, and what Pope Francis has been drumming down our throats. He's exactly right on what he's saying. So maybe this Lent, and so, you know, we, maybe the answer to this question that we talk about with, with 
yes, there's so many charities, so many people need. Maybe that's not what the right focus. Maybe the focus is is what's one thing I'm going to do? What, what's where can I make a single difference in somebody's life? And and concentrate on that. Maybe we can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. I think we have so much inertia that we can't help it. You know, or we're so afraid that we can't help everybody that we end up not helping anyone. So maybe maybe it's a good time with Lent coming up in, in I don't know a couple of weeks. The maybe it's, it's what are you going to do for Lent that's going to help somebody? Pick one. Pick one thing. Pick WSFI. Yep. Pick a food pantry. Pick something. Who cares? Pick something that's, and do it. That's a starfish argument. You know, there's all these starfish. I don't, I don't eat fish, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the story is like all these starfish on the beach saying, you know, like, you're never going to be able to do all this. And this young boy picks up a starfish, throws it back in the ocean, says, well, I made a difference in that life. Right. And I think that's that's something, as we, we have a couple minutes left in the show, is, is that's something we should pray. That's something we should sit down and discern about, which is another thing we should be doing during Lent and every other day of the year. But let's take some time and, and say, you know, what is a cause that I'm passionate about? And I'm not going to say what pe- cause you should do because everyone has their own passions, right? And and uh, But pick something that, that we can make a difference in somebody's life, and let's do it. Let's make a commitment. The guys here at the Deacons Roundtable, we commit to do that during Lent. Our prayer, Our listeners, you know, Send us, you know, go ahead and send us a line if you want to at WSFI and let us know what you're going to do, and, and uh, we'd be interested. We, we obviously won't won't talk about the names, but uh, um, let us know you're out there and let us know how you want to make a difference in in God's kingdom. You know, we, that's what we're going to be asked about when when uh, at, when that fateful day comes and, and we, we're not vertical on this planet anymore. We're going to be asked, what do we do with those talents? What do we do with the gifts that God gave us? So let, let's make today a different day. Let's do something. And Mike, as we're coming down to our, our last time, let's say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, give us the wisdom, uh, especially as deacons, to be able to ask those questions of people around us so that they begin to look at their charisms and use those to reach out to people in need. Uh, this we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. amen.